You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are starting a brand new series entitled The Great Exchange. And we would like to see everyone, Christians, whether you're a new believer or an old-time believer or you've been coming to church even longer than victory, to be grounded in the area of theology uh, when it comes to salvation, that you will never be shaken when it comes to the tenet of Christianity, particularly in this doctrine of salvation. And so for this next five weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, salvation plans starting today, guilty or to forgiven. Uh, We were all guilty uh, before, guilty of sin, but because of what Jesus Christ did, we are forgiven, okay? Uh, Death to life, alienation to belonging. Those of us before, we were enemies of God, far from the covenant, but now we are brought into a family. And week number five, meaningless to purposeful. And that's what we are going to be discussing in the next five weeks. Uh, this week, I believe that many of us are aware that uh, one of our beloved evangelists who uh, lived for 99 years have passed away by the name of Billy Graham. Okay, how many of you have uh, listened or watched some of the news? Okay, some of you have seen the news uh, on, or maybe on Facebook. Uh, some of you have been watching some news on, on cable television. But, uh, you know, 1918 to 2018, how many of you know that is a long life? That is a full life. Some of you are probably uh, wondering, akala ko namatay na si Billy Graham. Hindi pa, okay? He just passed away just a few days ago. And this is what he said in one of his the previous years that he was ministering still. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Amen. What a statement. And that's exactly what we have in the Lord. How many of you are confident that you are saved? Please raise your hand. You are going to heaven. Okay. How many of you would like to go to heaven already? Not yet. Okay. Let's wait. Okay. And so... You know, in, in this particular point of view, he knew for a fact that his eternal destiny is secure. He's not going to die anymore. He's going to change his address the moment he sleeps. And when he dies, he wakes up in a brand new address. And that is uh, called heaven. And uh, uh, President Trump and the Congress, U.S. Congress, actually gave him some state honors. A few days ago, they actually um, allowed the body to be viewed there in the U.S. Capitol, in, in the Congress. And I think he's only the fourth civilian who was given such an honor. And so um, it was really a very touching, I, I was watching the service, and it was really a very touching ceremony because once again, in the U.S. airwaves, the gospel of Jesus is being preached again. Amen. Unhindered. Can you imagine newscasters talking about this, talking about the life of Billy Graham, talking about the Word of God, talk, you know, uh, priests and pastors are talking about his life. Uh, even during his burial about uh, yesterday or two days ago, uh, his children basically honored him. And what an awesome legacy that he actually left behind. And so he said, my home is in heaven. I am just traveling through this world. And that's all of us. We are all pilgrims. We are all just passing through. Don't get used to this life, okay? This life that is filled with sufferings and pains and, you know, sickness and sometimes death. 
uh, this is a temporary life. Amen. We are going to a permanent life. And he has a, you know, somehow a very clear picture of where he is going. In fact, he even said this, I look forward to death with great anticipation to meeting God face to face. I mean, how can, how can anyone say that? He's not suicidal. He's not depressed. But yet he knew for a fact that to live is Christ and to die is what? To die is gain, just like what the Apostle Paul is saying. You know, Billy Graham preached for about eight decades, 80 years. Can you imagine? Uh, I'm not even sure if I'm going to reach that uh, number of years. But, you know, my prayer is that as, as, as I was watching this, I said, God, you know, if I would just be able to reach a fraction of the legacy that Billy Graham has left behind. In fact, his title is America's Pastor. Can you imagine? What an honor. I don't long to have the title of the Philippines pastor, don't worry. But I long to have, at least in my tombstone, a man who obeyed God. And I believe that all of us can be sure of where we are going. And he talked about salvation every time he would preach. He ministered to 200 plus millions of people and he saw them come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at salvation. We're going to be looking at eternal life. We're going to be looking at, for the next five weeks, what it is like for us to have the benefit of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I know that many of you know about this, but this is really about us getting deeper into theology, getting deeper into this doctrine. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd like to uh, invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be going through the book of Ephesians, not the entire book, but just the first half chapter 1, 2, and 3, and uh, we're, we're, we're spending about five weeks there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 6, okay? I want to encourage you to uh, bring your Bibles to church because we will be uh, reading our Bibles here. We'll be reading the first six uh, verses, and then we're going to be talking about uh, what it is, okay? Uh, to be in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Everybody say holy. And blameless, everybody say blameless, before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Father, thank you so much for our time together, Lord God, today. We thank you, Lord, for the preaching of Your Word. I pray, God, that You would... Uh, enable us to understand fully what it is to be in Christ and the benefits in, of, of the blessings that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you will open up our spiritual eyes to see and open up our spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us today as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Earlier, I asked um, how many of you have actually said that you are convinced, you know you're going to heaven, you're saved, but allow me to just do a quick quiz in church. How many of you are ready for a pop quiz in church, okay? I'm not going to ask you to get a piece of paper, but it's going to be just a mental quiz, okay? And so uh, this is the question of this quiz. 
There are going to be three statements, and you will find out which is the correct statement out of the three statements referring to salvation, okay? Two of the three are out of context biblically, though you'll find uh, them containing the Bible, okay, or, or verses. Uh, so you'll only have to choose the right one, okay? Now, I don't want you to answer yet. Don't shout out the, the answer. I just want you to keep the answer to yourself. Later on, we're gonna be checking this, okay? So letter A, first statement, a person is saved and goes to heaven by means of faith and good works because the Bible says faith without works is dead. Okay, so that's how you get saved according to this first statement. So the second statement is this. A person is saved, then goes to heaven by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ only, not by works nor water baptism because the Bible says for the by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works or results of works so that no one may boast. And let us see, a person is saved then goes to heaven by means of faith, still faith, and water baptism because the Bible says repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. All right? But the answer to this question is letter what? Letter B. Okay? There is no way that we can actually add to the works that Christ has already done on that cross. Okay? So you call that Pelagianism, okay? Yeah, if you may want the, the term there. You add good works to the faith. You know, it's almost like 50-50. You have faith. You're believing in what Christ did, but you're not really sure, so you add on to it, okay? So that is not salvation, okay? Salvation is just by grace through faith in Christ. Solo gratia, solo Christos, sola fide, and sola scriptura, okay? So it's all just by the grace from God. So this is what we're going to be looking at, the great exchange. And many times, people, or Christians even, are asking, so, you know, is that really how salvation is like, you know, as, as easy as that, just by believing? You know, there's even a scripture in uh, Romans chapter 10, uh, if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that He is raised from the dead, then we are saved. How many of you are familiar with that scripture? We're always praying that. We're always using that scripture, uh, uh, even in the altar call. So is that just it? You know, don't we have to do anything? You know, like, you know, it's just too good to be true. How many of you find it too good to be true? Yes, it is too good to be true. Because that is really the grace of God. But, you know, when we look at salvation, we have actually what we experience because we are the ones guilty of sin. We have salvation from the perspective of a sinner. That you and I, you know, we're not seeking God. We were, you know, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. We, we know that. But yet, this book in Ephesians is actually looking at salvation from the point of view of God in all of eternity. So this is not from the point of view of a sinner. We know that there's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing that you can do to add to what Jesus Christ did. But in reality, someone paid the price. Someone prepared this in advance for us. 
someone got it ready for us. How many of you from time to time, you attend a wedding? Okay? How many of you have attended a wedding? Please raise your hand. How many of you are married and you attended a wedding? Your wedding. Okay, praise God. Okay? And you were not absent in your wedding. Okay? So I like going to weddings because in weddings, there's you know, new, new life celebration. You know, it's a celebration of life, celebration of love. Uh, you know, weddings are fun. But when you get there, you know, you see the venue filled with flowers. It's arranged properly. There's, you know, if they like a carpet or if it's in a garden, uh, you know, you see that there's so much effort that was actually done and there were people who were planning for this months in advance. It was not like an overnight thing, okay, that they actually just say, okay, let's get married tomorrow. Let's plan the wedding. Let's call our caterers and let's call a, you know, a, you know, a cake uh, a baker and, you know, a flower arranger and tomorrow we'll get uh, married. How many of you know that is not the way a wedding goes? Now, if you're single and that is your, you know, vision of a wedding, help us, Lord. Okay, anyway, so someone planned it. Someone prepared for it. Someone did the work for the guest to be there to enjoy the wedding banquet. And this is exactly what salvation is like. That the God of the universe has prepared this way, way in advance. In fact, we've read earlier, from the foundation of the earth. You were chosen. Look at the person beside you and tell the person, you are chosen. You did not choose God, but He chose us. The Bible says, many are cold, but few are frozen. Okay? <laughs> so this statement, this two words, you'll always see this in the book of Ephesians. Actually, in many of the Pauline letters. These two words, in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. Let's look at this concept of in Christ a little bit. Okay? Everybody say, in Christ. How many of you are familiar with the meaning of in? When you say in, it means it's embedded, it's surrounded, it's enclosed, it's immersed. Okay? When you say you are in church, you are in a surrounding of the church. Okay? Being in a place, it's beyond your physical body, okay? You are inside a theater, for example, or you're in mo a movie, okay? You can actually describe it. You can actually have vocabulary for it. You can actually, you're in church, and what you, you have a language when you are in church, you know? The worship is great. The presence of God is there, you know? Uh, the kids' church is fantastic, and so on and so forth. You have a way of describing that particular thing. When you are in water or when you are in the deep, okay? When you're a diver and when you're immersed in the water, how do you describe it? You're going to describe the corals, the, the fish, or the shark, or whatever. There's a way to describe it. There's a vocabulary that you have to describe where you are, when you are in that thing. When a person is in pain, the person sees everything from the point of view of pain. You have a certain vocabulary that you're using to describe the pain. A couple of years ago, I was in real pain, not because of anything that was operated on, but my gout, okay? My gout attacked. I have one foot that was so painful 
And I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even, you know, uh, stand up. I couldn't put my shoes on it. You know, it's just one foot. And I couldn't even put a blanket on it when I am sleeping. Can you imagine that's how painful it is? And I said to my children and my, my, my wife, don't touch me. Why is that? Because I am in pain. I am seeing everything from the perspective of this painful foot. When a person is in fear, the same is true. Everything that he sees is actually from that perspective of fear. When a person is in depression, for example, everything that that person sees is hopelessness. There's no hope. There's no future. You know, sadness, so on and so forth. But let me just use the same analogy of this in Christ. If a person is in Christ, then that means that that person is immersed in the presence of Christ. Then that means that that person is full of Christ. That that person is full of redemption, full of adoption, full of the calling of God, full of joy, full of, you know, whatever you can add on, okay? Full of love, full of peace. Because this person is in Christ. And how many of you, let me ask you, how many of you are in Christ? That everything that you look at, that everything that you feel, everything that you sense, you are in Christ. Your finances is in Christ. Your marriage is in Christ. Your health is in Christ. Your, 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 your parenting is in Christ. Your work is in Christ. That everything that you see in life, you are immersed in the presence of God. You are in Christ. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is basically the background of this. When he was presenting this, he was talking about the idea to the Ephesians and to us as a, you know, as a modern church that Salvation can only be found in Christ alone and nothing else. Everything that we see should be looked at at the lens of being in Christ. Can you imagine just an example of this few verses that we'll actually read? You know, this uh, first 14 verses, actually verse 3 to 14, is just one statement or one sentence uh, in Greek. And it had to be chopped in different statements in English. But in reality, when the Apostle Paul was writing this, he couldn't stop writing it. It was just one whole cohesive statement with other you know, subjects or phrases that describes to the majesty and to the glory of God, to the praise of His glory. And that's exactly the point of this thing. He's blessing the Lord and he's actually saying, God, you are great and you're awesome because we are chosen, we're adopted, you know, we're, we're this, we, we're given an inheritance to the praise of your glory. Twice he said this in verse 6 and in verse 14. And so we see this that even in verse 3 it says, in Christ we have spiritual blessings. Verse 4, we were chosen in him. So it's either in Christ or in him. Verse 5, which is adopted in him. Verse 7, it's redemption in him. 11, it's inheritance in him. Chapter 1, verse 10, it's the entire universe, it's fulfillment in him. In Christ, God is exercising his mighty power for us to believe. Verse 19, in him, we were dead in our trespasses, but we were made alive in him. Verse uh, Chapter 2, verse 4, in him we have been created for good works. Chapter 2, verse 10, in him we were, once we were far away, we were now together uh, brought near in verse 13. In him, uh, verse 14, uh, long time enemies can come together in peace. Verse 22, in him we were built together into a dwelling place for God and so on and so forth. Are you getting the point? That in Christ, every spiritual blessing that we can get is always found in him. And I hope that we will actually be convinced 
and we will walk in that particular environment. That as you are saved and as you have been redeemed and as you have been chosen by God, that you will not just let the enemy just rob you of your inheritance in Christ. Because the reality is we can actually walk every single day in victory and look at the world differently, yes, through the scripture, but at the same time through the lens because you know that you are immersed in Christ. Verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. And here we can see that he is acknowledging that even his apostleship is not his own will, but it's the will of God. He's been called. You know, you'll see that throughout his letters that it is not our work. It is not us who did it. It is not about our recognition or about our human effort. It's always been about the effort and the initiative of God. He's the one who calls us. He's the one who draws us near. And so he says here, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. Two words that Paul used to describe the church in Ephesus. Number one is saints. Everybody say saints. Secondly, it's faithful. Everybody say faithful. Look at the person beside you. Tell that person, you are a saint. In Jesus' name. Okay? So, saint and faithful. Saints are not dead people. Saints that the Apostle Paul is writing to are living uh, people who are believers in the Lord, part of the church. They're faithful. Faithfully obeying God. Okay? The salvation plan of God means three things. And I want us to go through this very quickly. Number one is God blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And maybe some of you are wondering, wow, praise God, I'm going to be rich. Okay, let me just clarify. Spiritual blessing. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Okay, this talks about euloheo. It means to, to, to confer a benefit. And God conferred a benefit to all of us. He blessed us and He gave us everything that you can actually think about in the heavenly realms. In verse 3, you know, then this is not a prosperity gospel thing. You know, some people have taken this out of context and said that, you know, this particular verse refers to that you can now have everything. Since Jesus Christ died for us, then, you know, you can be rich. Uh, you can have all the money in the world. You can have a beautiful wife and you'll have no more troubles and you can have a nice car. You know, they've used this out of context. But the reality is this verse is referring to blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Savior who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings where? In the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. There's a heavenly realm that we are in. Guess what? You don't have to die to enjoy that. The reality of the supernatural is right here. Yes, we are in the physical world, but yet we know that we are also engaging in the spiritual world. And God has given us every blessing that we need in the heavenly realms. Grace, forgiveness, redemption, a new life. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. In the Greek, this word blessed, okay, or a blessing or all, that is every possible blessing for time and eternity which the Spirit has bestowed. Okay? So it's the Spirit of God that brings about the blessings that Jesus Christ has won for us on the cross. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, it says, In Him 
Or in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. Everybody say sealed. You were sealed, you were guaranteed, okay, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. We have everything that we need in Christ. Is sickness from God or from the devil? It is not from God. Health is from Him, right? And I believe that a time will come when you and I will no longer be sick. When you and I will no longer be sad, He will wipe every tear from our eyes, the Bible says. And that will come to a reality. We are already, but not yet. Everybody say, already, but not yet. We know it's here and it's coming. We know that the kingdom of God is here, but the fullness of the kingdom of God is going to come. That is the grand narrative. We know that Jesus is coming back again someday. That's in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, and he's coming back and he's going to usher the fullness of his kingdom. We are walking in the kingdom. He, he himself said, you know, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It, it's here already. The moment that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and King, you are part of the kingdom of God. And yet you are still in this fallen world. We are still here. We are going through pain and suffering. And that's okay. It's already, the victory has already been won, but not yet totally. Now can you imagine you have, you, uh, the forgiveness is already here. How many of you have, for, have been forgiven of your sins? Please raise your hand. You should all be raising your hands. But yet how many of you have sinned the moment that you, after you got saved, at least once? I'm also raising my hand. Whether it's a bad thought or an anger in your heart or a bad word or whatever, you know, why is that? I thought that He already gave us redemption, forgiveness. Yes, He did. But yet, the justification is done. We are being sanctified right now and the glorification will come in the future. And we are being sanctified. And that is a promise. Already but not yet. I used the analogy earlier of uh, my, my, one of my daughters who's so uh, interested in buying tapioca and she couldn't know where to, to, to get it. So she went for a, an order in Lazada okay, through a friend and she ordered tapioca pearls from Lazada. She knew it's coming and she's so excited. Daddy, it's coming. It's already ordered and the Lazada said it's coming, it's on the way, the delivery is on the way. How many of you have ordered from Lazada or in Amazon? They will inform you, right? For example, if the, or, if the delivery is on the way, they will inform you either through email or text. You know it's coming, but it's not yet here. But yet you know it's guaranteed to come. And that's exactly the picture here. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. It's like a signet ring. You know it's coming. God signed the contract. God signed the note. It's coming. It's sure it will come. You just have to wait for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, What no, uh, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through what? The Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Let's move to the second point. God 
does not only bless us in, with every spiritual blessing, but He chose us to be holy. Everyone say, God chose us to be holy. You're chosen to be holy in verse uh, 4. It says, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. To choose means to pick, to choose, or to elect. And this is where we get the doctrine of the election. And some, people, some Christians are questioning what this really means. And sometimes this can be so uh, controversial in Christian circles. But yet, you look at the scripture, and it's filled with these words. God chose us. We didn't choose Him. He elected us. He predestined us. The next verse we're going to be reading, He's the one who did it. From the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the earth. God didn't just choose you when you got, were, were conceived in your mother's womb. He chose us even while He was putting the foundation of the earth. He was thinking about you already. God is omniscient. He, he, you know, there's no limit to His knowledge. Dr. Robert Shank said in Paul's uh, efficient doxology, as in certain other scriptures, an essential aspect of election is explicit. The election is Christocentric. The first step toward a correct understanding of biblical doctrine of election is the recognition that the election of men is comprehended only in Christ. Outside of Christ, there is no election of any man. We're elected because we are now found in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you have been chosen. Look at the person beside you and tell that person you are chosen. God chose us. You're chosen. You're elected as an official. You're chosen. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Holy means you're set apart. God chose you and He saved you, not just to go to heaven, but God saved us to be holy and to be blameless. God chose us to stay here for a while. To be an impact here in this world. To minister to others. To be an example for others. To live a holy life. For them to see that, oh, there's a holy God. There's a just God. There's a God who's blameless as well. But how do we do that? Do we do that on our own human effort? No, you started by grace. We'll finish by grace. Amen. We started by the work of the Holy Spirit. We will finish with the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we become holy. You know, I know that it's a struggle sometimes. Sometimes you have this desire to be good, but it doesn't happen because you're struggling with your own personal will. Let the Spirit of God do that. God didn't call us to go to a monastery to hide until Jesus comes back. No, He says to go out there, be salt and light, and be an example for the world. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 talks about how do we do this? But I say walk by the Spirit. Don't just walk on your own. Don't just walk in the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are what? Are evident. You can see it. It's so obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. How many of you were angry this morning? Okay, don't raise your hand. Rivalries. What about Atinean Lasal? Okay, uh, dissensions, divisions. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many of you know that? Wow, this is hard. How do we then get saved? Guess what? You are saved already. And you do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful that Paul did not end with verse 21. Because there's verse 22. And what's in verse 22? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You overcome it by the Spirit of God. You live your life as a Christian who's called by the Spirit of God. You live a blameless life, a holy life, by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. You don't do it on your own. And last point is, He predestined us to be adopted in His family. This word, predestined, as I said, election sometimes can be controversial, but we don't really have time to discuss this. I think we're going to be having another established training sometime March 27, okay? We're going to give you the announcement, okay? So that we can discuss this further, okay? The, the doctrine of election, we're going to talk about that. If you have questions about Calvinism and Arminianism or Calvinianism or whatever, whoever you are, wherever you're standing, uh, whether it's Reformed or classic Calvinism, we're going to talk about that not today, but in that particular training. Some people are asking, if God predestined or elected or chose us, how about those that He did not even choose or elect? Those kinds of questions sometimes are bothering Christians. But the fact that you are here, it means that you are blessed. In fact, um, if you recall the, the series on Malachi, we talked about this, that God chose Jacob and Esau he hated. Why is that? Because we're coming from a point of view of fairness in the world that if you are calling someone, you ought to be fair to the others. But guess what? The ultimate fairness is none of us are qualified for the call because all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us should be going to heaven. But because of His great mercy and love, He actually showed us compassion and He reached out to us and He knew for a fact that you are going to be saved and that you are going to be elected and that you are going to respond right now. It is still not your work. It is still the grace of God. So much for that. Attend the established training. William Barclay said this, in, I'm talking about adoption. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul used these words as he was writing this particular prayer. You, are, you have been adopted. Him being a Roman citizen knew for a fact that the adopted son has full rights as a natural son. And it says when the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family, completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person, so new 
was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they had never existed. The old is gone and the new has come. Come on now. That's exactly what we have when we have been adopted in the Lord. When you and I were adopted into the family of God, He gave us a new identity, a new name, a new nature. That is what Paul says God has done for us. We were absolutely in the power of sin and of the world. God, through Jesus, took us out of that power into His. And that adoption wipes out the past and makes us all new. Brand new. I want to end with this story. Yesterday, I was actually in a baby dedication. I had two baby dedications yesterday, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. I love babies, just to borrow babies. But anyway, this couple who has uh, worked in the ministry, oh, actually, the, the guy who worked in the ministry, part of our staff before, his name is Dexter Ding. He's married to Len. Uh, they had children already, but they're believing for another baby girl and they're, they're praying for that for, for several years now and so they said okay maybe it's time for us to adopt instead of us going for a natural mean or maybe through whatever uh, you know artificial means and so they were somehow prepared for this and so they were praying and asking God you know for the right child to come uh, to them and uh, what they did was they didn't go through a, an orphanage they didn't go for the route of uh, talking to a family in the hospital just to be able to get the baby. But they went for the regular, legal, long route of adoption. And so they filed for uh, you know, their application for adoption in an uh, adoption agency, which is uh, you know, going to be helped by DSWD. There's no children there. It's going to be matched. Okay? There's no actual child you can actually see and choose and pick and choose. You'll have to wait for the match. That's how it's done. And so uh, finally, their papers were approved, and uh, you know they were tried to they, they they tried the match, but three times the match failed. And so they said maybe this is not working. This is not for us. But the but the social worker somehow said, but there's let's try one last time because I have this girl that was left by the supposedly adoptive parents and the adoption did not push. Can you imagine the, the rejection? And so the only picture that the social worker had when this social worker met with Dex and Len was a black and white Xerox picture. And they had to make a decision right there and then. And they cannot see the actual child. Can you imagine? How, many, how can you make an adoption? So that's the picture. I mean, how can you make a decision for that? And so, Len, the moment that she saw the picture, said, I believe this is God. Let's go for it. Dex said, oh, I'm not sure. But maybe, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. And so, as they were meeting as a family, the, the children said, uh, Dad, why don't you go and walk and you know, drive around first and ask the Lord. You know, because they have to make a decision right there and then. And as he was driving, he was asking the Lord, and God spoke to him said, in the same way that I have adopted you and I've given you a family, I want you to adopt this child. And so he went back and said, okay, by faith, we're going to adopt this child. 
for the first time, when they finally had all the papers, December 17, I think, of 2000, uh, December 28 of 2017, they finally got baby Amelia or Isla. And this is the baby right now. And this is the baby Isla that they dedicated yesterday. And Dexter said, the moment I laid my eyes on her, she looks like me when I was a baby. I said, okay. Sabi mo eh. I believe you. <laughs> and this is them. Yesterday. Adoption. And that's exactly what adoption means. When we were living with our old life, guess what? God was the one who set up a thing so that we can be adopted in Christ. And we can have a family through Christ. And the old family is gone. Our relationship with the enemy, the devil, is gone. And now we are related with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. Can we give the Lord a praise for that? And all this is meant for the glory of God. The adoption, the calling, the giving of the blessing is meant so that ultimately God can be given praise. The glorious grace. Yes. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you're not sure about your standing in Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And, you know, God, by His sovereign will, and through His grace, by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He's offering this gift of salvation for all of us. And today, if you're here before we sing this song, if you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you have not received forgiveness, you have not received redemption, and you've not been a recipient of eternal life, with all heads bowed down, all eyes closed, I want you to lift up your hands so I can pray for you. Anyone at all, just lift it up. Not the time to be embarrassed. This is the time to be bold and say, God, I thank you for bringing me here. I believe the, the fact that you are here is one proof that God, through His supernatural means, brought you here, either through a family or a friend, or maybe you just walked in. It is by God's sovereign grace that you're here. And it's not an accident that you're here. For those of you who want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I want you to pray this prayer. I want to invite everybody to pray this prayer out loud. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner needing a Savior. And I thank you for going to that cross and sacrifice your life for the forgiveness of my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe that He is raised from the dead. Therefore today, I know for certain that I am saved and I have eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray.